question, what kind of cities do we want to live in? How do we want our cities to be? Cannot be divorced from the question of what kind of people we want to be. What kind of humanity we wish to create amongst ourselves and how we want to create it. And it is that mutual constitution of the city and who we are and what we are that is something which is, I think, again, very important to reflect upon. This is The City, an hour dedicated to a critical discussion of urban issues. And welcome to the program here on CITR 101.9 FM, CITR.ca, and syndicated on CJSF 90.1 FM, CJSF.ca, and also as a podcast available at thecityfm.org. I'm Andy Longhurst. On the show, we hear from Musqueam band member Rhiannon Bennett on the ongoing struggle to protect uh, the ancient burial grounds of Cessnam. And as we go to broadcast, uh, they're at day 132 with no res- resolution to this, uh, to this struggle. And in the second part of the show, we hear from Gail Harmer, a seniors advocate about livability and affordability in Vancouver uh, for seniors and uh, issues around, um, around seniors' issues and accessibility um, in all of the ways that we can interpret that for seniors. This is The City, an hour dedicated to critical urban discussions. Stay with us.
And that's The Shins, uh, based out of Portland, Oregon, off their recent album, Port of Moro. And uh, you're tuned in here to CITR 101.9 FM and syndicated on CJSF 90.1 FM out of Burnaby. And uh, also uh, the show's website, thecityfm.org. You can find um, links to the podcast and um, all the ways to listen uh, here Tuesdays 5 to 6 p.m. on CITR Live and then syndicated on CJSF 90.1 FM uh, from uh, 10 to 11 a.m. on Fridays. So um, thank you so much for tuning in. And um, as uh, the city has a commitment to um, uh, looking at issues in the city from a critical lens and um, exploring um, all of the ways that we can look at the city um, in a progressive way and a critical way, um, and that one that looks at um, uh, the politics within the city and ways that we can um, really work towards um, progressive and emancipatory change um, for environmental justice, for social justice, um, for um, all the things that make urban life what it is and all the things that can ultimately um, affect and marginalize people and um, or marginalize uh, the environment and human and environmental relations um, in that regard as well. So with that said, um, the city uh, covered uh, the, the Co- Coalition of Progressive uh, Electors general meeting this fall, um, their fall general meeting, excuse me, and that was held on September 9th, uh, 2012, um, just a couple of days prior to this uh, to live broadcast, uh, which we're broadcasting here on, on Tuesday, September 11th. And uh, Cope um, speaking um, about uh, reaching um, out in a number of ways and um, looking towards progressive voices and advocates and activists in the city um, brought two speakers um, uh, to speak, um, two of the speakers that were speaking at the event, uh, Gail Harmer, who's a seniors advocate, as well as Rhiannon Bennett, and she's a Musqueam band member. And uh, first we're going to hear from Rhiannon. And... um, Introduced by Tristan Markle, who's an executive on the COPE um, executive. And uh, Tristan uh, introduces Rhiannon, but um, also, uh, you know, this is important. This is an issue we've covered on the city for the past um, months now. Um, As we go to broadcast, as I mentioned, this is day 132. And they're in a conflict over um, protecting and um, having the rights to the ancestral burial ground of Sesnam. Um, which the Musqueam um, have um, ancestral remains, uh, intact remains there, and they're asking for it to be treated no different than any other cemetery um, in the sense that, um, you know, we we have a special uh, designation for cemeteries in the city of Vancouver or any city where we don't develop on that, and what's going on is the threat of development, condo development, um, by the people who own the land who are having a developer uh, develop it. So without saying too much more, and, and you may be familiar with this issue, we're going to go into that update from Rhiannon, um, which is uh, just around uh, 15 minutes or so, um, but speaking uh, largely about you know why... Uh, it's important um, for Musqueam and why it's also a personal issue for him. For her. There's been a, a pretty inspirational protest and, and celebration of community strength uh, by the Musqueam and their allies in South Vancouver. So um, uh, we, we're really grateful to have an update uh, from uh, Rhiannon Bennett 
and she, she agreed to come to update the COPE membership and to tell us about their struggle, which is ongoing. Right now, there hasn't been a resolution, so I'm excited to see uh, what we can do to help out. And uh, Rhiannon Bennett is a Musqueam band, band member who was raised off-reserve in Ladner. She's been active in the, uh, in the protection of the burial grounds at Cessnam, which is located at uh, 1338 South Marine Drive, but also the, the whole area around there. And she's a community organizer and media spokesperson. Rhiannon has been passionately working towards reducing the impact of colonialism on Aboriginal people uh, who live uh, through various employment and helping Aboriginal people live through various employment opportunities. She's recently joined her local BC NDP Riding Association and is the provincial council rep with hopes of creating change within the provincial government. So that's the bio. And thanks so much for coming, Rhiannon. Thank you very much, Tristam. I think it was appropriate for Tristam to introduce Rhiannon because he has been in contact with them and he has been doing some work preparing, putting all this together. So thank you, Tristam. Rhiannon, I believe. Antha Rhiannon Bennett, Leitanak Humathquam, Misakwakwitlam. So I just want to welcome all of you to um, our unceded traditional territory. I uh, appreciate the acknowledgement of that at the beginning of the meeting. That's very important that that's done. As a reminder that we have not given up any of our ancestral rights to the land that we are all sitting on and that this land is, is, um, is, is unceded. And that ties very much into what, um, what we're dealing with out at Tasnam. So I'm not sure if all of you have been able to follow what little media coverage we've been getting on it. Um, so just to let those of you who don't know, Tasnam is, is our village that we had continuous occupation of for 4,000 years before we were removed from it. There was a smallpox outbreak that basically decimated the community and everyone moved down to the other village at Musqueam. So since then, the province of BC was formed and as former Minister of Aboriginal Affairs, Mary Polak says, may have been inappropriately taken from us. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> so the, the, the Hackett family own this piece of property that's in question right now, and they've owned it for a little over 50 years. And what they like to tell the media is that, you know, why, why didn't we buy it when we had the opportunity instead of them? But I'll, I'll tell you why, is because when they purchased the property at that time, we weren't allowed to own land. We weren't allowed to have a lawyer. We weren't allowed to gather more than groups of three. We weren't allowed to speak our language. We certainly weren't allowed to get a post-secondary education. And we didn't have any control over whether or not we went to residential school. So that's, that was the reality of the time when this family purchased that land. And for whatever reason, they choose not to acknowledge that or, or choose not to, to admit that that's the, that was the reality of the world at that time. So here we are now in 2012, and in December of, of 2011, the provincial government had uh, sent a letter to the Musqueam Indian Band. Oh, and I should also make a disclaimer that I don't speak on behalf of the Musqueam Indian Band. I'm here representing the community, just so that uh, there's no confusion on any of that. So. <laughs> Uh, the provincial government sent a letter to Musqueam Indian Band on, in December when the band office is knowingly closed for the Christmas holidays. So in that time, they issued the permits to alter and amend the, this property, citing no response from the Musqueam Nation. 
So the family is working now in partnership with the Century Development Group based out of Delta, and they went to work on the property. So we've been trying to stop any development on this land for a very long time. This isn't a brand new issue for us. This isn't new. This is something that we've been very aware of forever and that we've been working towards. So in February, they unearthed the first couple bodies. So they opened up intact burials. So an intact burial is a burial that is in the exact same condition as when that person was laid to rest by their loved ones in the ceremonial way that they were. The community found out about this and as a community we had a meeting and we, we gathered together and we went to the construction site on May and we denied the workers and the developers access to the property for three or four days in March. And at that time we were told to enter into a six week cooling off period where everybody would, would walk away and uh, we were really happy that our, our goal of getting respectful consultation, that was our goal. That's why we went there and that's why we stopped people from going to work was to gain respectful consultation with our government and the provincial government and the developer. So we thought that that had happened. So the developer went back to work and uncovered at least two more bodies. And some of these bodies are even infant burials. So they're victims of the smallpox outbreak. So these, these babies didn't get an opportunity to fulfill their life and to live. And now their, their final resting is being disturbed as well. So when we found out that work had been done and more bodies were, were open, on May 3rd, we gathered together as a community again. We marched from the, the Safeway on uh, Granville and we marched down to the site, and we've had continuous vigil over that since then. So we are now at day 130 of standing vigil over those open graves. I choose not to use the word protest when I talk about it, because when I go there, I'm not protesting. I'm there protecting those open graves. I'm there to stand vigil over those graves until those souls are laid back to rest again. And that, that's not a protest. That is a cultural practice of us, that we don't leave our dead unattended, as is in many different cultures that we don't want those bodies there left unattended. We went away in March and we were treated with great disrespect and more bodies were unearthed and we don't want that to happen again. So a few weeks ago we were, well, we, we have done some protesting because <laughs> we're not about just to sit quietly and wait for the, the wheels to work. So we did our March on May 3rd and then on May 29th, we did an entire day of action. So we did a, a demonstration at Mountain View Cemetery. We had mock rezoning signs. Uh, Gino Ocek came to support us with a couple of goons and shovels. <laughs> so that was a, a very powerful event for us. You know, we were able to connect with a lot of commuters and connect to a lot of people, and we had a very visual statement there. And then at one o'clock that afternoon, a group of people went to Christy Clark's constituency office where they weren't very warmly greeted. And from there, they, because they were denied, you know, they were told that they needed a permit to stand on the sidewalk and all sorts of things. So they ended up impromptly doing a big drum circle and closing down West, West 4th for about an hour or two, um, ensuring, though, that the bus drivers that were able to pass through, we let all the, the BC Transit buses or the TransLink buses go through. The, uh, we've had such amazing support from the TransLink bus drivers that we really wanted to make sure that they weren't impacted on that impromptu uh, road closure. And then that afternoon during the evening rush, we went uh, downtown to the downtown core and we had four blocks of Robson Street closed off by the Vancouver police for about four hours. And we were able to get a lot of signatures for our petition, hand out a ton of these uh, brochures that I'll leave for you at the back and get a lot of support. 
I went home and I turned my TV on expecting to see some coverage of these great actions that we had taken that day. They were very or well organized and very powerful and <laughs> there was maybe 20 seconds on the evening news. So it was very disheartening because on May 31st was the last day that the, the BC legislature was in session for the summer break and they're still not sitting now again until October. So the next day we, we made the tough decision to close the Arthur Lang Bridge. So that decision didn't come lightly and didn't, uh, there was a lot of discussion and it wasn't something that we entered into lightly. We felt that we had done a lot of progression. We did our march, we went to the lawn of the legislature, we did our full day of action and then we closed the bridge down. And that was a very powerful experience for me standing on the bridge because um, our page, our Facebook page gets pushed to my phone and it was going off the entire time we were up on the bridge deck. People sending us support, more people following our page. And it was, it was very heartwarming to see that we were able to take that kind of strong action and people were still supporting us. It was a very heavy evening that night when we all came back uh, knowing that we would still be sitting here in the fall and here we are in the fall and we're still sitting here so on day 100 we did another action and we had another march with about 300 people again we marched from the Safeway at 70th to the site and it was sort of a very symbolic to say that we're not any further away on day 100 than we were on day one and we did a drum circle on the on-ramp off-ramp of the bridge and that was uh, closed for an extended period of time as well and now here we are on day 130. And I really don't have any more information other than negotiations are still ongoing. And it's very disheartening and it's very frustrating to, um, to be here 130 days later for something, in my opinion, that's so simple. Those are human beings that are buried there that don't need to be further desecrated. We want them all just to lay to rest where they are. There's a trailer on the site that the archaeologists have been storing disarticulated bones and artifacts in. So human remains are being stored in Rubbermaid totes, including an entire baby arm that has been unearthed and put into this tote. So it's just, it's, it's horrific the way that, um, that we're being treated. And it's horrific because it's 2012. It's 2012. It's not 1812 anymore. And we're really at a point in history where where things like this shouldn't be perpetuated, that we should be working towards more reconciliation than what's going on. And our biggest frustration is, is this, how slow the process is and the unwillingness of the current Liberal government to be supportive. The former Minister of Aboriginal Affairs and Reconciliation, uh, before she got um, shuffled, she never once made it down to see us. Mary Polak, yep, she, her riding is in Langley and she wasn't able to come from Langley to South Vancouver to come and talk to us, to come and see anything. Yet on day 99, she was able to get herself from Langley to Canada Place to do a press, conf to do a press conference uh, to tell how there was no need for us to take any action and she didn't understand why we were still there. So, I, I, in, in my opinion, I'm very happy that she's been reshuffled. I'm not sure if her replacement will, will do any better, but their, their time is limited. So I, but I still hope that we're not at day 365, still sitting underneath the bridge, and that those graves are still open. We've been denied access to the property to perform ceremonies to rebury those that have been, that those graves that have been opened. There's still equipment on the property. 
Even though we are in negotiations to purchase the land back, the developer continues to leave equipment on the property. We've been asked to scale back our presence. All of our flags of support, all of our amenities, our, our outhouses, our stove, our tables, our chairs, our tent, everything has been removed out of respect for the negotiations that are happening. And we were told that that was a, a gesture of good faith. Yet we haven't been received a single gesture of good faith. There's still property on the equip. There's still equipment on the property, and it's it's just very it's very frustrating to sit and to not sure where to go and what to do next. So we are being very mindful of how we continue to conduct ourselves. I'm sure there's people in my community that may not be very happy that I'm here speaking because we were told to, to scale back and to be quiet. Uh, but I still live in a country where I have the freedom of speech, and I'm still here, and I'm going to tell our story. What I say is the facts. What I say is stuff that's happened. It's, it is what it is. And if people don't want me quoting what they've said, then maybe they shouldn't have said it. There's just a couple. I want to thank you so much for talking, and I, and there's a couple of things I want to that should be mentioned. Um, a small one is that the COPE executive has passed a motion in support of the Musqueam struggle and support of the, what your, uh, your demands and what you're asking for for the site. And, and, and I don't know if, if it's appropriate, if you think it's appropriate, but certainly when I was listening, I, I had a couple, I thought maybe people might have some questions. And in particular, given this is a civic municipal party, it might be interesting to um, ask, uh, if I could ask a first question. Um, what, uh, what do you think that a party like COPE, who, who um, is supportive, uh, could do from the municipal level to put more pressure, for example, with the uh, building permits that have been improved by the city, things like that? You know, all, all of this has been going ahead and I, I don't believe that all of the work has been done yet. I don't think that it's been rezoned yet, and I don't think that the uh, environmental assessment has been done yet. Yet he was able to, the developers were able to get their archaeology permit to start amending the property and to pre-sell units. So the developer and the landowners in particular aren't very happy that they're losing profit, that they've had to refund those people that have uh, pulled out of their pre-sold units. And the Musqueam Nation and community are not willing to be on the hook for those lost profits or lost wages, uh, as the those units never should have been sold because those permits never should have issued the permits. So we don't feel that we are liable or should be responsible for those those payments. So, as far as as that goes, I I don't I just think the decent thing to do is to not zone a burial ground, um, commercial or or residential. If it's a burial ground, it should be zoned as a cemetery, and it, that's the way it should be treated. Like an old hobo on sad, lonesome and blue. I was fair as a summer day. Now the summer days are through. You pass through places, and places pass through you, but you carry them with you on the soles of your traveling shoes. Well, I love you so dearly, I love you so clearly I'll wake you up in the morning so early Just to tell you I got the wandering blues 
With the vast amount of changes happening in the world, it's almost impossible to get a clear picture of what's really going on. We are trapped within the logic of capitalism, leaving us unable to imagine what comes next. The Extra Environmentalist brings the perspectives of people who can see the whole picture and are ready for whatever comes our way. Tune in to The Extra Environmentalist every Wednesday from 2 to 3 p.m. on CITR 101.9 FM. This is the viewpoint that makes all places the same to you. How much do you know about bikes? Everything? Perfect. Nothing at all? Even better. At the UBC Bike Kitchen, you can use our space and tools to do your own bike maintenance, get one-on-one instruction on how to fix your bike yourself, or drop your bike off for us to repair. You can also buy a fully refurbished, guaranteed used bicycle, or a variety of new and used parts and accessories. The Bike Kitchen is UBC's non-profit, student-owned, full-service bike shop. We're located in the basement of the Student Union Building. Just look for the stairwell on the north side of the sub across from Gage Towers, or search for the UBC Bike Kitchen on Facebook. Stop by the Bike Kitchen, and then get riding. And you're listening to The City here on CITR 101.9 FM, CITR.ca, and syndicated on CJSF 90.1 FM, CJSF.ca, and also as a podcast available from thecityfm.org. And that's where you can find all the information about the program um, and uh, uh, past um, the archive for past, uh, for past shows as well. So... Um, you heard the Be Good Tanyas with um, The Littlest Birds um, after hearing from Rhiannon Bennett, who's a Musqueam band member and was speaking at uh, the Coalition of Progressive Electors uh, fall general meeting um, on September 9th and uh, providing an update and uh, going over the timeline of the Musqueam struggle. And now we're going to move into a second part of the show. And now we're going to hear from Gail Harmer. She was also a featured speaker at the COPE Fall General Meeting. And uh, Gail is a longtime uh, seniors advocate. And um, you're going to hear an introduction from uh, former COPE City Councilor Tim Lewis. Thank you all very, very much for coming. And without further ado, I'm very honored to be introducing two incredible speakers today. Our first speaker, Gail Armour. Gail has an incredible history, experience, track record for 22 years advocating to make housing a right for low-income seniors, renters, the homeless, and at-risk women. She's the past chair of Costco, Costco's housing uh, committee advocating for a full spectrum of affordable seniors' housing. She's a tenants advocate at track in the 1980s, and as chair of uh, the Derrick Co-op a Maintenance Committee, arranged a three-quarter million dollar retrofit to the building. And last but not least, she currently sits on the board of 411 at Senior Center. Gail is going to speak to us for 10 minutes today about seniors and the issues facing seniors. Gail, come on up. Hi, everybody. I want to move very quickly into my presentation. What I had my intention is to um, give you 
a scatter uh, of uh, facts and figures about the uh, seniors here in the city of Vancouver. Um, I, I guess all of you sitting here know that we consider housing a right in this country. We have signed international agreements and most of you know that we've had visits by the rapporteur from the UN uh, who is pretty scathing in his analysis about uh, the city of Vancouver and its um, uh, compliance with the agreement that we signed several de decades ago, saying that housing was a right, that we would continue to monitor uh, the housing situation of all Canadians and ensure that they were properly housed and would be making accommodations to do that. Well, that hasn't happened, and it certainly hasn't happened in British Columbia. It hasn't happened in Canada, and it's not happening here in the city of Vancouver, despite um, the stated political intentions of various parties. So my, I want to let you know that the continue, housing continuum involves seniors who are completely independent from the age of say 65 right through to 105 it's one of the largest age demographics possible as time goes on seniors are increasingly young they often will not do not self-identify as seniors they're healthier they're going to live longer they may or may not have the economic stability that um, we currently see in the country. In Vancouver, 13% of the population, uh, roughly 13%, is 65 and over. The distribution of seniors in this province, in this uh, city, uh, varies according to the neighborhood. Unfortunately, the, officially, the neighborhoods are 23 uh, when you look at the um, housing department's description of our neighborhoods, you will find, in fact, that the neighborhoods that have the most seniors are those neighborhoods that are the, probably the best off, with the exception of the poorest damn neighborhood in the city, which is Strathcona which has the highest percentage of seniors. And in the period uh, from, what, 96 to 2006, in that 10 years, the percentage increased by 100% in that community. That's the poorest community. And we must understand that within COPE, and we must support the very poorest of the seniors if we're actually going to be able to um, address and to get the voters of the city of Vancouver to understand the real dilemmas and what it means as a senior to be poorly housed in this city and what the options are. The wait lists are getting longer and longer. The market forces are getting greater and greater. And in reports that I have written, I've described seniors as leaving this city, the city of Vancouver, in a tsunami-like effect. One of the last places that seniors are coming to before they jump the river to go to slightly cheaper 
accommodation in some of the other areas of Metro Vancouver where they will have increased problems of accessibility to banking and shopping and medical and all of that is here in this southeast portion of the city. And that's why it was so important to me today that COPE acknowledge that and come to this part of the city for this particular um, workshop on seniors and housing because this part of the city is where, um, is where has experienced a dramatic increase in the number of seniors. If you look around you, you'll see that the housing here is single-family housing, but it's an empty nester type situation, and more and more uh, the owners of homes in this neighborhood are offering accommodation in the basement, etc., uh, cheaper rents, often to seniors, those seniors, though, are expected not to ask for a rent receipt. They, without a rent receipt or tenancy agreement, they are also not able to access things like SAFER. Hopefully those of you present know what SAFER is and know that SAFER is an incredibly important um, program that offers some taxpayer assistance to the accommodation costs for our most vulnerable, poorest seniors. In the city, however, of Vancouver and Safer is um, a, a provincial program, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking about it today and the problems of Safer, except that to show to you that this particular neighborhood, seniors are having a problem in the city of Vancouver because they aren't getting rent receipts because the landlords in this particular part of the city are very well known for not wanting to give tax receipts as a tax avoidance. Okay? So that is a huge problem. One of the big things we need to understand also is that in the city of Vancouver we have the greatest um, diversity uh, of seniors in all of British Columbia. So we have seniors that come from recent immigrant group, visible minority groups, and we also have uh, seniors who are Aboriginals. Aboriginal seniors, interestingly enough, but when you think about this you'll realize it's um, a very young society. It's uh, an exception to the rule in the Western world, in that the rest of the Western world were getting older and older as a society. They actually are getting younger and younger, but doesn't mean that there aren't very serious problems um, with housing in that community, especially with senior women in the Aboriginal community. Hmm? Okay. I only have one minute to go, so I also wanted to mention a few other things that are happening. The current administration in the city of Vancouver seems to have a very single-minded um, ambition to provide housing, live-work housing, to that portion of our population that um, actually is going to need uh, so-called affordable housing, but it's being done at the expense of seniors. What's happening is that increasingly 
landlords are, are being represented by very large monopolies of apartment owners. Things like Hollyburn, etc. And they are actually driving the market forces. They will determine what the rents are going to be. This is a huge problem in the West End where I live. Uh, people often think that we have a very large uh, population. I want to warn people, you have to think about absolute numbers of seniors and you have to think percentage. Uh, the, city, the United Way of the Lower Mainland recent, uh, let's see, within the last three years completed a study in which they forecast that the city of Vancouver itself would have a reduction in, its, in the percentage of its population that was senior that should be living in the city of, in the city of Vancouver. That doesn't mean we're going to have a reduction in the absolute numbers, just in the percentage of the population that was senior. That's not reflected in any of the reports you'll get from the social policy division, interestingly enough, and I kind of challenge them on that, but um, that is a problem. Uh, one of the other things I wanted to mention is that uh, seniors, there, there is an incredible market and an opportunity for entrepreneurs to make money off of assisted living, supportive living, and to some extent, residential care. And what is happening, for instance, over on Cornwall, is that uh, one of the private hospitals over there wants to expand. It has a big sign up. It wants to expand east and west, major property there, and it will be taking out two apartment buildings, which I estimate between the two buildings affords Vancouverites at least 24 units of reasonably affordable rental. Because Vancouverites are mostly, rental, are mostly renters and certainly seniors are um, mostly renters, we need protections. We need to make sure that what few places we do have are protected. Uh, we also do need some uh, residential care facilities, but you don't wipe out the services available to uh, independent seniors because as seniors, only less than seven, about 7% 7 of us will ever require residential care. And what we need to do is remember that housing also means you have to have other services in place, things like non-medical home supports. If we had adequate non-medical home supports, right, uh, we would be able to stay in our communities much longer. We have things like decent transit, et cetera, et cetera, and affordable housing. So, one, uh, I am over the one minute. I'm very sorry about that. There are a whole bunch of other things I wanted to, to mention, but perhaps we can do that in the small group later on. So, thank you very much, folks. We'll uh, talk about this a little bit more.
Atomic Duo with Trickle Down. And uh, you just heard uh, from uh, Gail Harmer. And over the past 22 years, Gail Harmer has been involved with advocating to make housing a right in BC for renters, the homeless, as well as low income seniors and at risk women. And as a tenants advocate for the Tenant Resource and Advisory Center in the 1990s and chair of DIRA's uh, Co op Maintenance Committee, Gail arranged uh, three quarters of a million dollars in retrofit. Uh, retrofitting for the building envelope roof and plumbing and she's been co-chair of the council of senior citizens organizations housing committee and which uh, has meant advocating for various forms of permanent affordable um, appropriate and safe housing for seniors along the full housing continuum and um, from homeless to independent living and 24 hours care and uh, particularly for low and modest income seniors. And she currently sits on the board of the 411 Senior Center Society. So, um, again, if you uh, um, want to find out more about the program and about those interviews, um, that's all going to be available at the cityfm.org. And also, um, in the first part of the show, we heard an update from Rhiannon Bennett, a Musqueam band member who's been uh, active in uh, Musqueam's struggle to protect the burial grounds of Cessnam in South Vancouver. And uh, going on over 130 days um, with no resolution um, on this issue. And um, we're going to continue to see and continue to follow this on the program and um, we, we look forward to resolution and we look forward to justice for the Musqueam Band um, in their struggle. So we're going to finish out the program um, with a few tracks and uh, we have the Oh Wells coming up next and um, I want to thank you for tuning in. This is an hour dedicated to critical urban discussions 
And if you have thoughts or suggestions, um, comments, uh, critiques about the program or what you'd like to hear, um, please let me know. You can write me at andrew at thecityfm.org. Um, again, andrew at thecityfm.org. Um, you can also tweet me at thecity underscore fm. And uh, you can also leave comments on the website. And again, that is thecityfm.org. Um, so many, many ways to get in touch. You can even uh, get on Facebook as well. So you can search the City Critical Urban Discussions um, and find the Facebook page. And all the information um, is also there um, about past programs as well. So um, get in touch, share your thoughts. And if there's an issue out there, um, whether it's uh, in the Vancouver context or beyond, um, like to cover a whole variety of urban issues. Um, and as you uh, may have heard on the show, um, covering you know issues of housing and seniors' issues uh, to Aboriginal issues um, and issues of social justice. So um, a whole range of issues, and I'm always looking to bring more to the program. So again, please let me know. And uh, so we're going to finish off. Um, but again, you're tuning in to CITR 101.9 FM, CITR.ca, and syndicated on CJSF 90.1 FM, CJSF.ca, Tuesdays 5 to 6 p.m. on CITR, and then syndicated on CJSF Fridays 10 to 11 a.m. Thanks so much for tuning in, and I look forward to more critical urban discussions next week.
strings Now my eyes switching If that prick coughs again In the back of my head I smash your fucking face in Okay, that's it Take a deep breath I've got to get out of here I've got to clear my head I've got to clear my head Someone's always talking when I try to make some sense of all this stress 